Uh, this morning, we are going to finish a series we started in May. How about that? The Core. This is the last one. Um, if this series has blessed you in any way, can you just raise your hand? Amen. It's been a, a, um, it's been a good summer to march through. And what we've been doing, if you're, this is your first time or you haven't been here in a while, we've been marching through the book of Acts, looking at three churches in the book of Acts and pulling out from these churches almost like a plumb line. Hey, if, if the early church was doing this, how are we doing in this? Amen? And so we were doing that. We looked through the church at Jerusalem. We looked through the church at Antioch. And now we're finishing in the church at Ephesus. And uh, Beatty did a great job of leading us off. We talked last week about the spiritual element of this wrestling uh, with God in the world. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, the church at Ephesus part three. And to set this up, um, this shouldn't be new to you, but the kingdom of God, and, and we see this in the Lord's Prayer, we believe that the kingdom of, that life isn't about getting out of the earth and into heaven, okay? The story of the Bible is not the story of, hey, buy your time to the end and go to heaven. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that heaven would come to earth. And I'm just going to get, we're going to watch a, a short video to kind of prep this, and then we're going to talk about three points about how, what does this look like? We can get excited about the kingdom of God coming to the earth, but what does it actually look like in a city? Amen? And we're going to look at that at the, at the church of Ephesus. So, okay, cool. Good lesson. We can get excited about that, right? The kingdom of God coming through the church, through believers in, in every aspect of life. Let's start with our own hearts. Let's start with our own lives. Let's start with our own families, right? And then seeing that pushed out into society through love and compassion, doing good things. So here's the problem, though, is that the world already has a way of doing things, right? And so when we look at the church at Ephesus, Paul comes into the city of Ephesus and he preaches the gospel. A group of 12 believers get saved and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, they're prophesying. A church is born. Paul goes to the, to the tabernacle, to the, to the temple, and he preaches for three months uh, the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and they reject him. So he le takes the believers with him. They goes, he goes into the school of Tyrannus, and for two years, he speaks daily about Jesus and how he changes our lives, and his, this new kingdom has come in Christ. And the Bible says this cool little phrase. It says, all who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of truth, which means the ministry in a city impacted an entire region. This is all of Asia Minor. This is present-day Turkey. One city is reached with the gospel saturated and sent out, and a whole region is impacted. That's why we're here in Greenville. We believe reaching this city will have a regional impact. And because of the campus, it'll have a global impact. Okay, that's why we're here. So that Jesus could be glorified in the nations and in our city. And so this is happening in Ephesus, and the, the gospel is changing lives. There's a revival. I mean, lives are being changed. And I want to pick up in the story in Acts chapter 19, and this is how it goes. 
Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I will also see Rome. And so Paul's vision is that, man, I'm going to plant little citadels, little um, embassies of the kingdom of God in every major city of Rome. And I'm going to do it in the, the city of Rome. And I'm going to go to Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together, almost like a union or a guild and the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of our great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even worship, uh, depose from her mag magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the theater, dragged with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. I love Paul, don't you? It's getting, it's getting rowdy. I got to go in there. They wouldn't let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, <clears throat> men of influence in the city, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Sounds like Twitter. Sounds like social media, right? <laughs> Just gathering together. Why are we? I don't know. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. They were trying to distance themselves from the Jewish people. were trying to say, that's not us. Those Christians, they're not Jews. And Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when the crowd recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they cried out in one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Father, help us this morning in Jesus' name. My main point this morning is this. Jesus' kingdom brings change, reveals idolatry, and experiences resistance. The kingdom of God is that Jesus brings, the ministry of Jesus, the administration of Jesus, Heaven on earth, the kingdom of God, however you want to say it, comes in and it brings change. Now, I remember as a college student needing Jesus, right? I came to Jesus because I was depressed, didn't want to get out of my bed, addicted, couldn't stop doing things I know were bad for me. I was bound by fear, like, like a chain. I knew it was a problem. I was afraid all the time. And I was without purpose. So I come to Jesus, and he starts ministering to those things. But here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't stay there. He didn't just want to heal what was broken. He wanted to venture into the rest of my life and start helping me in areas I didn't think I needed help. 
didn't really want help, right? And so this parable Jesus says in the Synoptic Gospels, he said this, the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed. When you look at a mustard seed, it's, you lay out all the seeds of the garden and it's the smallest. That's like the gospel. You're telling me the message that a man in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago died and rose again is going to change things? Can it change my? I don't think it's going to happen. But you plant this seed in your heart and it starts to grow. And this is what Jesus said. It grows and grows until it is the largest of the garden plants and casts a shadow on everything else. What is Jesus saying? The kingdom comes small and innocuous. It doesn't look like a big deal. People in a building on a Sunday morning, can that really change things? And then the presence of God melds with the message of the gospel into the human heart, and it starts to change us. And it it grows, and the branches of the kingdom of God have far-reaching over every area of my life. How I spend my money, how I treat my family, how I go to work, what I do with my time. It starts touching everything. But here's the thing, is the kingdom of God is not just a personal thing. It's not just personal. It also affects all of society. And so the kingdom of God is casting a shadow. It is influencing our politics, how businesses are run. It pushes out and brings justice where there's injustice. It changes things, amen? So here's the story of the gospel. Jesus changes us, and he doesn't just stay where we want him to stay. Does that make sense? All right, y'all following me this morning. All right, talk to me. This helps me, okay? Not repeat myself, all right? All right, so Jesus' kingdom brings change. Now, if y'all know, James hasn't been this been here this week. He's been on vacation. It just happens that this week James was in Ephesus. So can we see a couple of these shots here he sent me? This right here is the when everyone rushed together and, and did a procession to the theater. This is where they ran down. The Bible's real, y'all. Happens in real places. You can go touch this. It exists. And so here... They've run together, and, and this was a procession. The people would have run to the Temple Artemis or the theater about once a month to celebrate Artemis, and then they would go to this place. This is the theater. I have a, a bigger picture of this, but this is the best one I could get. Um, this is the theater. They're running into it, and it would fill up thousands of people. Great as Artemis, like a good football pep rally. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians, and this place was rocking, and they were protesting what was going on. So not everyone likes change, amen? (laughs) Not everyone likes change. And so just like when Jesus changed my heart, he started uh, dictating my sexual ethic. What was right and wrong to do with my body? Jesus did that. He started saying, you can't spend your money there or there. You've got to spend it here, right? Because Jesus' kingdom saturates everything. Now, the second point we see here is that Jesus' kingdom 
reveals idolatry. Now, the whole point of this, kind of the center of this story is idols, right? Now, if we went around and, and talked to each one of you, I'm probably sure 99.9% of us do not bow down and worship a physical image, right? So we, we tend to say, that ain't us, right? Man, those pagan Ephesians, right? What's wrong with them? But here's the reality. At the center of what's wrong with the world, the Bible communicates to us, it is this problem of idolatry. Because we don't just worship images, we worship bad things and good things. We create things to worship and then we worship them. And I'll, I'll show you this and how this plays out. This is all about Artemis. This God, this temple, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, it was a big deal. People traveled from all over the ancient world to visit this place. And so they would come together and they would worship. But if you listen to what Demetrius is saying, this isn't about Artemis. This is about money, right? It was, it was about, man, they're going to mess up my silversmith trade. Right? I've got this nice thing going. I go down to the temple and I peddle idols and people buy them and that's how I make my money. And so what's going on here is that the idolatry of the heart wasn't just... Now, were there some very religious fanatics about artists? I'm sure there were. But this idol of the heart was about money because there's always an idol beneath the idol, if that makes sense, right? We worship... We are worshiping. We, that's who we are. As image bearers of God, we worship. It's a matter of what we're worshiping. And usually that doesn't come to the surface without change. So when change comes, what we worship comes to the surface of the heart. And in this city, the change happened. And so Demetrius, they're upset, they're afraid, and there's two kind of things going on here. There's political zeal of the Ephesians, the polis, the city. Our city is the most influential city. If you tear down Artemis, you tear down our influence and our power, and then we'll take up arms against you. And so what's going on is the stirring of the heart that they're afraid. Things are changing. And the idol comes to the heart. But was also at work, not just is this political thing, this monetary thing, this religious thing, all these things are coming to the heart because change is happening. Does that make sense? So Jesus' kingdom reveals idolatry. We even see this in the, in the ministry of Jesus. When he came, he didn't come saying, man, we're going to overthrow Rome. That's not what he said. Love your neighbor. Right? Love your enemy. And what did they do? They killed him. Why? Because they were afraid they were losing power. Because that was the idol of the heart. We want to be in charge. We're going to mess with our money. And so they kill Jesus. And so the ministers of Jesus, Jesus said this, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. Now think about it this way. If you have a bully in a classroom, he's kind of dominating the, the airspace, and you have a teacher that's capitulating and allowing that to happen, and then a new teacher comes, 
And they bring the law, they bring order, they bring respect, and they change the atmosphere. Some people are going to be really excited because we were being oppressed and that bully was taking advantage of us, right? But there's going to be some in the room, the bully and his minions, who are now upset. The power, the influence, the freedom that we enjoyed has been taken from us. The same when the kingdom comes, there are some who have influence and power from the things that are bringing destruction. And when change comes, it it disrupts the, the order of things. And now I'm losing power or control or comfort. Does that make sense? And so when the kingdom comes, man, there's part of me that's excited. I'm not addicted anymore. I'm not depressed anymore. The other part is not so excited, but now you're meddling in other things. And the kingdom of God will not be harnessed or brought together by man. Think about this. This is why racism, I'm sorry, idolatry is so tricky is because racism in our country has been a thing since its inception. But it is the people of God, men like MLK, right, Junior, who come in and they give a message, right, and they're proclaiming the kingdom over this land. They're bringing change. But you know what's crazy? Part of the resistance to that change were Christians. Why? Because idolatry isn't so easy to spot in us. And here comes the king. Let's tear down injustice. But that means I'm going to have to lose power, money, control. We don't like that. So we rage against the very change God is bringing. Does that make sense? See, we would say, we step back years later and we're like, yeah, of course, that's God. That's God moving in our land. But at the moment, because of the idols of the heart, we miss it. And we might even find ourselves on the wrong side of what God's trying to do. Does that make sense? So idolatry isn't so black and white. It's tricky. Now, This is amazing. This is what's happening in this moment in Ephesus. He says this. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Isn't that amazing? There's been an up... We're we're upset. We're running into... and And we're chanting with everyone. And there's a majority of people there that don't even know why they're there. And we think that's funny, but that happens all the time. We get upset because change is happening. Change. No change here. Yeah, we're going to chant, right? Why are we here? We don't even know. And we're upset. We're pushing against something that God himself is doing. I mean, think about a city like Amsterdam, right? There's a whole economic structure around the red light district, around all these things that are immoral, if that starts getting shaken, the whole city feels that effect financially. Now, I believe, by the grace of God, it will eventually change and get better. But initially, it's going to hurt. Does that make sense? And so, I mean, just imagine ECU football is a huge part of this city. That's not immoral by any stretch. But people can make that God. And imagine if that type of economic engine in the city started getting under, overturned. People would be upset. You know what I mean? 
And so the, the change the kingdom brings can feel painful, unnerving. What's going on? And so we have to make sure, Father, is there anything in my life that I'm participating in this thing that's hurting others? That I'm being a part of this. So why am I speaking about this? Because when the kingdom of God comes, when a move of God comes, it's going to shake cities. Does that make sense? And so we've got to make sure, hey, Lord, is there any part of my heart? I don't want to resist what you're doing just because it's different, just because it's changed. Now, we know we have the scriptures. We have the spirit of God that helps us stay in bounds. But we need to be aware that change, just because it's change, doesn't mean it's not going to bring good. Now, thirdly, Jesus' kingdom experiences resistance. Experiences resistance. We've talked about this a little bit. Just because change is going to upset the apple cart, people are going to rage against it. So what does that mean? That means for us as the people of God, we need to expect resistance. That that's not always a bad thing. Now, we can be unwise and unloving and experience resistance, and we don't need to call that, oh, I'm being persecuted for the Lord, right? I've seen a lot of Christians do a lot of dumb things and say a lot of dumb things, and then, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're being persecuted for being unwise and being insensitive to others and not being aware, okay? Now, but you can, I mean, I'm pretty sure Jesus was doing everything he was supposed to be doing. You know, he was persecuted. Did y'all realize that? Paul was persecuted. And so there's resistance to the change that God wants to bring, and that doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. In fact, look at this in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. But I will stay in Ephesus. This is Paul writing from Ephesus to a city in Greece called Corinth, and he's saying, I'm not coming to you. I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. What is he saying? There's all kinds of opportunity for the gospel. I've got to stay. Here's the caveat. And there are many adversaries. This is probably written at the same time that this riot was happening. He felt, he felt in the spirit. There's, there's some people are getting upset about what God's doing. So resistance is normal when the kingdom of God is coming. And we don't need to be afraid of that, one. We also don't need to take offense at that. And you'd be, you would be upset and resist change that's greatly affecting you as well. We need to have compassion. We need to have patience. And we need to remember, like Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Those people are not the enemy. They're probably reacting like you would react if your apple cart turned upside down. And so we need to love them, expect the resistance, and love in return. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? That's nice, Blake, but you upset my apple cart, my income, and my family. We're going to fight. Can I get that? Here's how we do that. Jesus saw the sin in our heart that what we were doing was hurting ourselves and others, and he loved us anyway. In fact, he, the Bible says we were enemies of God, 
And he loved us and sacrificed and died for us. So that when we experience enemies, we remember, I was just like them, an enemy of God. And God loved me. We have resources in the grace of God because we've experienced it. If you've never experienced the grace of God, then you don't have the resources to walk in that kind of grace. You know, like, I can't love them. Well, then you haven't seen yourself as God saw you. And then God poured out his love on you. No matter what you thought about him, he loved you anyway. When you experience that, it changes how we react to those who resist us. We have a reservoir of the love and the grace of Almighty God in the gospel to work out the gospel in our lives through resistance. A wide open door of ministry. And there are many adversaries. Adversaries and resistance simply means this, opportunity. No one pushes on you unless they're afraid of something you getting on the other side. The enemy's pushing because there's something good on the other side of this resistance. Does that make sense? We're coming into football season. I'm excited about football season. I hope we go to Ann Arbor and shock the world. But also realize that the closer you get to the end zone, the greater the resistance. Why? Because there's something good in the end zone. The closer you get to your purpose and your destiny and affecting real change, expect resistance. Call your brothers pray and sisters and pray for me. Am I doing anything bringing this on myself or is this just because I'm living in the world pushing forth the kingdom? We want to be circumspect. Sometimes we think we're high and mighty and righteous and we're not. So that's why we need family to be like, you're a little arrogant and you probably shouldn't have said that. You need to calm down. Sit back down, pray about that for another week. And if the Holy Spirit says go, then you can go. But I think you probably just ran in because you saw something and you got excited and you were shouting one thing and they were shouting another and you don't even know why you're here. <laughs> and so we need to be, so we get real excited about change. But really, like, let's let God do the change and we'll follow him. We'll draft behind what God's doing. Now, I don't mean resistance isn't coming. It's just not because I'm acting unwisely or outside of God's purview. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace of God that gives us what we need to say no to unrighteousness and ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We invite you in this place, Holy Spirit of God. Lord, if there's anyone in our midst this morning who doesn't know you or is running from you, I pray that you would minister to them by the Holy Spirit. You put your hand on their heart. They would experience your love. All of the anger and all of the wrath that you have because of our sin has been removed and put on your son, Jesus. Some of us in here are not experiencing the peace.
peace and the grace and the love of God because we haven't received his mercy and his provision. If you're not right with God this morning or you've been running for God, from God and you want to be right with God this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. You can put your hands down. Right where you are, just make an altar before the Lord. Just as the video said, Jesus Christ is the Lamb who absolves your sin so that you can walk into the presence of God. Father, forgive me from running from you. Forgive me for doing things my way instead of doing them your way. I receive your forgiveness this morning. And I commit to follow you with my life. All my life. Some of us in here this morning that I just want to commission you that you are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven in your workplace, on the ball field, in your team, in your school, in your home. That Jesus Christ is anointing you. He's laying his hands on you. He's calling you to be a conduit for the kingdom of God. If you want to respond to that call to be Jesus' ambassador in our city, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Father, you see these hands. Lord, I ask that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and your love. That they're not alone. They're not doing this by themselves. Lord, that you're with them and there, are, there is a people that want to walk with them to exact change in the kingdom of God and in this city. Fill them up with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning.